changing pane. And I struggle to turn the page. What is actual paper? Yeah. Who prints things off these days? Hello, welcome to Foss and Crafts, a podcast about free software, free culture, and making things together. With my co-host, Morgan. And my co-host, Christine. So, you know, we've talked about the gender and sexuality and etc. things, and this episode was going to be a topic of interest, and we had this whole joke for the beginning of it, where the first topic of interest as kind of a minor one was going to be that I've been, you know... I guess people are hearing kind of the changes in me exploring gender stuff live as this show is going on. And the latest thing is I've been going by Christine mm-hmm. more often. Which was slightly a bike shed thing because someone else suggested that it'd be oh, yeah. easier to remember the transition and pronouns if there was a different identifier. Yeah, so it was input from another person. But I, I guess the, the minor thing for this topic of interest is that things have been going well. People have been very nice mm-hmm. and... Um, I've been really happy with that. But the idea for topics of interest, well, why don't you give the summary of like what the idea for a topics of interest episode is? It's basically an auto lightning round session where we we're still the presenters, but we're just giving short bits of not necessarily connected presentations that wouldn't necessarily be their own full individual episodes. Which it's probably sounds strange if this is not going to be the topics of interest now. Why are we explaining what the topics of interest will be? That was exactly my question yeah, when I mean, you put me on the spot to define that. Well, which is a thing we already get accused of correctly, um, doing way too much on this show. But there is a reason for it this time. So the first topic on our topics of interest was about bike shedding. And the reason that was on there was that... So the title of this episode, Topics of Interest... Is taken not this episode, the future episode. Oh, the future episode, that's right. Was taken from a talk that Ian Bicking gave a number of years ago. Are we sure we don't want to do this part in the topics of interest episode? Mm, this is yeah, we should bike shed about this a bit more. All I'll say is that <laughs> the bike shedding stuff came up, but it turned out that this is such a good topic, we're just gonna get into the whole thing. So I mean, but why would we recover the so I guess covering topics of interest makes sense. But this is great. We are bike shedding right now, live on the air. We were like, we don't need to make an ap- uh, episode outline. Yeah, we did not prepare that much for this. <laughs> okay, so, but the idea of bike shedding was the first thing, and it was connected to that talk, so that's why. Yeah. Okay. So, we started looking at this, and I actually printed out um, an email, which I am now holding in my hand, and I did a dry- live dramatic reading privately, and mm-hmm. and we were kind of like... Let's just do a dramatic reading of the original Bike Shed email. And then we can talk about it as a whole episode, because we think there's a lot here. Yeah. So let's let's get started. We're going to just switch off back and forth, starting with the headers. We're just going to read the first three email headers, and then we'll get into it. All right, so you, you can start it off. Subject, a bike shed. Any color will do. On greener grass. From Paul Henning Kemp, PHK, at freebsd.org. Date, Saturday, 2nd of October, 1999. BCC'd to Committers Hackers. My last pamphlet was sufficiently well-received that I was not scared away from sending another one, and today, I have the time and inclination to do so. 
I've had a little trouble with deciding on the right distribution of this kind of stuff. This time, it is BCC to committers and hackers. That is probably the best I can do. I'm not subscribed to hackers myself, but more on that later. The thing which have triggered me this time is the sleep function should do fractional seconds thread, which have pestered our lives for many days now. It's probably already a couple of weeks. I can't even be bothered to check. To those of you who have missed this particular thread, congratulations. It was a proposal to make sleep function do the right thing, if given a non-integer argument that set this particular grass fire off. I'm not going to say any more about it than that, because it's a much smaller item than one would expect from the length of the thread. And it has already received far more attention than some of the problems we have around here. The sleep function saga is the most blatant example of a bike shed discussion we have ever had in FreeBSD. The proposal was well thought out. We would gain compatibility with OpenBSD and NetBSD and still be fully compatible with any code anyone ever wrote. Yet, so many objections, proposals, and changes were raised and launched that one would think the change would have plugged all the holes in Swiss cheese, or changed the taste of Coca-Cola, or something similar serious. What is it about this bike shed? Some of you have asked me. It's a long story, or rather, it's an old story, but it is quite short, actually. C. Northcott Parkinson wrote a book in the early 1960s called Parkinson's Law, which contains a lot of insight into the dynamics of management. You can find it on Amazon, and maybe also in your dad's bookshelf. It is well worth its price and time to read it either way. If you like Dilbert, you'll like Parkinson. Somebody recently told me that he had read it and found that only about 50% of it applied these days. That's pretty darn good, I would say. Many of the modern management books have hit rates a lot lower than that, and this one's 35 plus years old. In the specific example involving the bike shed, the other vital component is an atomic power plant. I guess that illustrates the age of this book. Parkinson shows how you can go into the board of directors and get approval for building a multi-million, even billion dollar atomic power plant. But if you want to build a bike shed, you will be tangled up in endless discussions. Parkinson explains that this is because an atomic plant is so vast so expensive and so complicated that people cannot grasp it, and rather than try, they fall back on the assumption that somebody else checked all the details before it got this far. Richard P. Feynman gives a couple of interesting and much, very much to the point examples relating to Los Alamos in his books. A bike shed, on the other hand, anyone can build one of those over a weekend and still have time to watch the game on TV, so... No matter how well prepared, no matter how reasonable you are with your proposal, somebody will seize the chance to show that he is doing his job, that he is paying attention, that he is here. In Denmark, we call it setting your fingerprint. It is about personal pride and prestige. It is about being able to point somewhere and say, there, I did that. It is a strong trait in politicians, but present in most people given the chance. Just think about footsteps in wet cement. I bow my head in respect to the original proposer because he stuck to his guns through this carpet blanking 
from the peanut gallery, and the change is in our tree today. I would have turned my back and walked away after less than a handful of messages in that thread. And that brings me, as I promised earlier, to why I am not subscribed to the Dash Hackers mailing list. I unsubscribed from Dash Hackers several years ago because I could not keep up with the email load. Since then, I have dropped off several other lists as well for the very same reason. And I still get a lot of email. A lot of it gets routed to slash dev slash null by filters. People like Brett Glass will never make it into my screen, commits to documents and languages I don't understand likewise, commits to ports as such. All these things and more go the winter way without me ever even knowing about it. But despite these sharp teeth under my mailbox, I still get too much email. This is where the greener grass comes into the picture. I wish we could reduce the amount of noise in our lists, and I wish we could let people build a bike shed every so often, and I don't really care what color they paint it. The first of these wishes is about being civil, sensitive, and intelligent in our use of email. If I could concisely and precisely define a set of criteria for when one should and when one should not reply to an email so that everybody would agree and abide by it, I would be a happy man, but... I am too wise to even attempt that. Let me suggest a few pop-up windows I would like to see mail programs implement whenever people send or reply to email to the lists they want me to subscribe to. And okay, the next few examples, there is an ASCII art of like what looks like a pop-up dialog box with some buttons after some text. So we're going to... We're going to eat, read each one of these uh, imaginary pop-up boxes. So Morgan, read the, the first one. Your email is about to be sent to several hundred thousand people who will have to spend at least 10 seconds reading it before they can decide if it is interesting. At least two man weeks will be spent reading your email. Many of the recipients will have to pay to download your email. Are you absolutely sure that your email is of sufficient importance to bother all of these people. And then the button options are yes, revise, and cancel. Okay, next imaginary pop-up box. Uh, Warning! You have not read all emails in this thread yet. Someone else may have already said what you are about to say in your reply. Please read the entire thread before replying to any email in it. And then there is one button, cancel. Next one. Warning, your mail program has not even shown you the entire message yet. Logically, it follows that you cannot possibly have read it all and understood it. It is not polite to reply to an email until you have read it all and thought about it. A cool-off timer for this thread will prevent you from replying to any email in this thread for the next one hour. Only one button option, and that is cancel. Next window. You compose this email at a rate of more than n.nncps, and it is generally not possible to think and type at a rate faster than a.aacps, and I'm guessing cps here means characters per second, Mm -hmm. and therefore your reply is likely to be incoherent, badly thought out, and or emotional. A cool-off timer will prevent you from sending any email for the next one hour, and then there's only one button again, and it is cancel. And so, okay, that's it. That's all of the dialogue boxes we go back to normal writing in the email the second part of my wish is more emotional obviously the capacities we had manning the unfriendly fire in the sleep function thread despite their many years with the project 
never cared enough to do this tiny deed. So why are they suddenly so inflamed by somebody else so much their junior doing it? I wish I knew. I do know that reasoning will have no power to stop such reactionary conservatism. It may be that these people are frustrated about their own lack of tangible contribution lately. Or it may be a bad case of, we're old and grumpy, we know how the youth should behave. Either way, it is very unproductive for the project, but I have no suggestions for how to stop it. The best I can suggest is refrain from fueling the monsters that lurk in the mailing lists. Ignore them, don't answer them, forget they're there. I hope we can get a stronger and broader base of contributors in FreeBSD. And I hope we together can prevent the grumpy old men and the Brett glasses of the world from chewing them up, spitting them out, and scaring them away before they ever get a leg up to the ground. For the people who have been lurking out there, scared away from participating by the gargoyles, I can only apologize and encourage you to try anyway. This is not the way I want the environment and the project to be. Paul Henning. And that's it. That's the end of that email. So there's a lot of good content there. Yeah, the most obvious part and the part that everybody refers to is the bit about the bike shed and painting it and then the a little bit less brought up, but is the essential component of the comparison to the nuclear power plant as well, right? Yeah. And I mean, this can be seen in a lot of different fields. The idea that you have a concept so simple that everyone can and does have an opinion on it. Yeah, so I've definitely seen this with my own projects, right? You know, and I also have definitely seen this with myself. Like, I think that there's a certain amount, and I like that this email is pointing out that there's kind of an element of human nature that kind of encourages you to act this way in kind of a crappy way. But like, we kind of have to check ourselves. For example, in projects I've worked on, like if somebody is... Yeah, somebody's changing something surface level. Like, you know, do we try to add ASCII escape codes to like make it when some when you print out help to the terminal, like you're printing out the help stuff, it makes some colors green and white and stuff like that to try to highlight the things. Um, that's something that might be useful. It's, you know, but it's also something that people can debate to death, right? Which colors should you use for each one? Whereas if somebody's well, that's like, because it's subjective, it's subjective. And also it's subjective and you're able to have some sort of comment on it but there are other subjective things too right so like let's say i've got you know the operating system or my event loop or whatever it's got to run all these tasks so it's got a scheduling algorithm that decides which ones go when right that's a complicated thing building a scheduling algorithm is complicated and oftentimes those kinds of things get implemented if it's a project with lots of people in it those types of things just go in and just fly by and nobody comments on it even though it affects everybody's lives. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I, I think that one of the things I liked, though, here also was pointing out that there's this temptation. You've got to show that you've done something worthwhile, right? And that's, there's like good human reason versions to do that, right? You're justifying your existence, right? Like I, yeah. and that feeling of like, you know, carving something into a tree or putting your, you know, like you're stamping something in the cement or something like that. It's, you can point at that later and be like, you know, and that's where I that's where I had my impact. And so it's understandable, but the irony being it's not great when those types of things are just 
instead of being these kind of inconsequential surface level things, they're things that hold up people's lives. Yeah. Well, I do have a somewhat critique follow-up point to that about this email, is that these bike shed issues, if you're talking about getting new people and new contributors into a group, a lot of times these bike shed issues feel like the only things that they can have an opinion on. So they do comment. Though there's also, the end of the email is actually talking about new contributors, right? I know, that's what I'm saying. At the end of the email, they're saying, well, if the listserv is going to be so cluttered up by all of these comments, it might scare away new contributors. But on the other hand, telling people not to get focused on these smaller things, those might be some of the only things that say a new contributor who doesn't have much coding experience feels qualified to talk about. So that's true, but maybe there's ways to redirect that, right? Because one of these is applying what's sometimes called stop energy, Mm -hmm. right? You're right that sometimes, like, there's this thing that, like, we all feel like we can say something about it, right? And it's like, well, you know, otherwise else people don't feel sufficiently empowered. But what if as an alternative, you have a bunch of bite-sized tasks that anybody can contribute. They're not holding up other people. Mm-hmm. Instead, they're able to make their own contributions. Whereas yeah. this is talking about holding up people being your small minor contribution. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. Um, so what are what are other things that stood out? Or do you have examples in your own life that you've thought about as a, in terms of these types of things happening? Well, I feel like having run student organizations i feel like there's a lot of uh there's a lot of bike shedding that happens in as insofar as what we don't want like what the community doesn't want to do for activities without providing you know good alternatives alternatives for what they do want to do which i feel is similar in that it's a stop maneuver stop energy yeah Yeah. that stop energy saying well nobody wants to plan a conference in our free time but not giving other alternatives when what we put in the uh, bylaws of our student organization was that we were going to plan a conference so this this issue of applying stop energy it's really important to me and i think it hits one of the things i like least I feel like there's this cultural historical thing and maybe it's people are being pushed a little bit away from it, but I I don't think that it's, that's really true. I don't think that this is like, there's, it's a particular political orientation or whatever that's, that causes this. Cause I think that people do this type of thing all over the place, but I know that something I see a lot is people trying to show off how smart they are by tearing down projects mm-hmm. and using like expletives like i can't believe the people did this like effing thing in this release what a bunch of you know and then just like a bunch of i mean you know usually some sort of ableist slur you know like people insulting people's intelligence right like look at how incompetent these people are mm-hmm. right and like you'll see this like if you haven't noticed this before start noticing it this is oftentimes people who are trying to show off and make themselves look smart 
use this type of technique as in terms of like, and look at all these people being fools. Because it, what it implies is, and I'm smart enough, and you're smart enough, and we're bonding together over how foolish this other person is. And I hate that. I hate that. Mm-hmm. It demoralizes people. It doesn't make me think you look smart. I used to actually fall for that more often, right? And I think this does have something to do with, you know, the amount of empowerment you have, I guess, when you're more of a new user to things. I remember when I was very early to free and open source software, I used to hang out on Slashdot-threads and where people were doing that. And I was like, yeah, this person's making fun of this other thing. I'm going to upvote that. But I don't know. I really, I hate it and I find it demoralizing. Well, and especially since if you're doing this about, you know, free or open source software projects, these are mostly either people who are volunteering their time on the project or have constrained amounts of funding to actually pay people to do it or do it as like a side job that they don't really have time to do, but they're doing it because they care. So putting people down for doing that is not going to contribute to things being done better it's going to push people to not want to do that yeah i mean so this is also a big complaint i have about the way that people usually handle security and security research you can really do one of two things you can try to make security architecture better and maybe this is me biased being an object capability person right but like when it's like, you know, you weren't smart enough because you didn't set up these firewall rules or you weren't smart enough as in terms of like you didn't notice that you had this memory vulnerability or et cetera, et cetera. Well, a lot of that stuff is it's the wrong paradigm, right? Like you could instead be focusing on helping people do the right thing by default, right? As opposed to kind of pointing out, look at how foolish this person was for doing this type of thing to be ready to jump on things. I think there's similar energy if we're talking about how to promote good, healthy interaction and onboarding new people into free and open source software projects. There's some relationship between this behavior to people who will tell you to RTFM or read the fucking manual if you ask questions. Mm Mm-hmm. And there is obviously a skill as in terms of learning to do that type of thing by default and so on, but you don't want to make people feel foolish, right? Mm -hmm. That's the thing, right? And you want to help people say, you know, hey, you know, like, so here's here's how you find those resources so that you can become self-sufficient. So if you link to the manual and say, here's generally how you navigate this document. It's the same thing without the stop energy. It's the same thing without the stop energy and without making people feel bad for asking the question yeah i i think one of the other interesting parts of this email was the part about having user interface guides that try to prompt you to consider what impact your message is Mm -hmm. especially the well if you think about it if this is a, a high volume mailing list and you're contributing a message like this even if it takes 10 seconds to review this one email that can be many hours or even weeks in some cases, of people's time by just sending a a couple of emails to a mailing list frivolously. Yeah, I also, thinking about this ASCII art interface display they used in this email, I'm also thinking a little bit about uh, 
about the advice that you got when you were doing the mock-ups. Right. So I did some mock-ups that have, are not public yet, but they were done in a very sketchy style intentionally. And and Maureen Duffy, who is, you know, friend of ours and, and wonderful free software person, um, I hope she doesn't mind me quoting her out of context, but she said... You know, her her work is on user interface and user experience things. And one of the things that she said was it's actually a good idea to try to make things sketchy and not look like it's so complete. For a mock-up. For a mock-up, because otherwise all people focus on where they place the button, where they blah, blah, blah. Whereas if you're making it obviously look kind of prototypey, then people don't over-focus on those details. So basically, having it look like it's a work in progress, ironically causes people to bike shed less yeah than if you have something that looks like a completed design yep so because it, it sets expectations mm-hmm. yeah so i don't know if you have much else i have a, a funny comment at least sure, but go ahead well i was gonna say that there is a funny meta bike shed thing that happened once um so we're gonna link to some places that you can find the bike shed stuff on the internet but there was a point at which i was linking to shed.bike which is if you go to shed.bike it'll bring you right to this or at least currently who who knows if that'll last permanently but it brings you to a copy of this email i think paul tagliamonte is the one who hosts shed.bike but uh i was sharing that with another person and carl fogel responded no 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 you should use my site that has the bike shed thing instead it's superior look it lets you pick any of the colors you want for the page and that was perfect both in terms of Carl having the option to be able to choose the colors and also it being meta. No, 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 no. Don't use that bike shed URL. Use my bike shed URL. Yeah. So that's it. That's all I got. Excellent. So we thought that was the end of the episode, but... Well, during the review phase of putting out the episode, we had actually... Well, we, Morgan, had already edited it and we were doing our routine where we sat up my computer and listen through the episode and, and Morgan asked an interesting question. Who is Brett Glass, who is named twice in the bike shed email that we read in this episode? So I did a web search. And we came up with a Quora thread titled Hacker Culture. Who was Brett Glass named in the original bike shed email? And who answers of all people but... Brett Glass. So we figured this this was such an interesting reply that we wanted to actually cover it in this episode. So let's, let's go. Um, let's do the switch off back and forth. Morgan, you can start. I am Brett Glass, engineer, author, hacker, founder of the world's first wireless ISP, or WISP, and the target of the Temperamental Dane's Fiery Flame. Paul Hennig was annoyed at me because of a somewhat heated mailing list discussion regarding implementation of certain features within FreeBSD, the most popular freely available BSD-derived operating system. At the time, the core developers of FreeBSD, of which Paul Hennig was one, were a very cliquish and somewhat egotistical group. Some believed themselves to be super elite programmers whose judgment and knowledge simply could not be questioned. When someone from outside this in-group suggested a change or an improvement, no matter how reasonable or insightful the suggestion, there was a tendency for egos to come to the forefront. The developers would, quite frequently, 
blast the suggestion as bike shedding and dismiss it. Ironically, a year or two later, the suggested feature or improvement would often appear in the code anyway, but with one of the in-group claiming credit for the idea. This is the flip side of Paul Henning's argument. While it is true that silly, trivial, and even ill-advised suggestions are often made within collaborative software projects, it's just as common for good ones to be dismissed due to headstrong geeks' unwillingness to take suggestions from others because they were, quote, not invented here. This phenomenon is so common in the tech world that it has earned its own three-letter acronym, NIH. Paul Henning's assertion that all such ideas should be dismissed as, quote, bike-shedding, end quote, reflects his dismissive attitude, which can be just as damaging to a software project as taking too many suggestions or accepting bad ones. At the time of the discussion I mentioned above, internal squabbles drove several talented programmers from the project, and I was discouraged from becoming more deeply involved in it. FreeBSD was falling behind Linux in features and in popularity. While it has now caught up in terms of technology, it remains an underdog. This is in part due to the developers' dismissal as bike-shedding of good ideas that Linux adopted much earlier. So, there's a lot of follow-up discussion in this unofficial response to the initial bike shedding email. I mean, it wasn't a very official email to begin with. So it wasn't. It was, it, yeah. It's just become canonical. And I don't think this response has become canonical in the same way. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, so one thing that this addresses is actually something that I had independently brought up earlier in the episode, which is if you've got newer contributors to a project who maybe don't have as much software development experience, these kind of smaller issues may feel like the only ways that they can contribute. And what Brett Glass is suggesting here is that at least after the initial bike shed email, the term bike shedding was used as a way to kind of gatekeep the community in a way that the core developers shut down other people from contributing. Yep. And you did say all that. And I, I agree. This is something that we do sometimes see happen in projects. Um, something that I think is pretty curious, though. Both Brett Glass and Paul Henning are making the same argument. They are the ones defending new contributors of small and um, useful um, patches and contributions. And it's the other one who is basically shutting things down, Mm -hmm. right? And harming the overall project. But I guess maybe part of the idea here is, I think what Brett Glass is arguing is that um, he's perceiving it as it's the core developers who are the ones who are shutting things down and maybe core developer um, by using the term like shedding, right? Whereas Paul Henning was arguing that it was this, ba- this very useless back and forth that was cluttering up the mailing list that was preventing people from contributing. Yes. And I think the term bike shedding since then, I do think it's been used sometimes to, 
as a gatekeeping device, but I also think it's also been used as an unblocking device. Mm -hmm. So I think more often than not, when usefully applied, it ends up becoming an unblocking device. Yeah. yeah but it, it is true that it's, a, it's something that could be used in someone's toolkit to shut other people down. And I think that it's important to note also that neither Chris or I were involved in the free BSD community at the point of this interchange. So we are not qualified to comment on the social dynamics of that community at that time. So I think that there's maybe kind of a parallel between this idea of, you know, recognizing bike shedding and the idea of logical fallacies. So, for example, there's a website called yourlogicalfallacyis.com that allows you to easily link to several common logical fallacies. For example, the straw man fallacy, which is where you're misrepresenting somebody else's argument to make it easier to attack or construct an, constructing an argument that nobody is actually making in order to make it easier to attack or... Um, you know, appeal to emotion where you're you're trying to get some instead of actually focusing on the issue, you're creating a very emotional situation around it or bandwagging, you know, you're, you're appealing to the popularity. But and one of the things that I've so I find knowing these things to be very useful, right, because you can identify when they're happening and they're also um, things that you can observe yourself to realize when you're making a mistake. Right. Yeah. Um, something that I have found very frustrating is that after this website, yourlogicalfallacyis.com, came to exist, I suddenly experienced several conversations where somebody would just, um, they were trying to win an argument. So they would link to one of the fallacies on there and say, and therefore your argument's invalid. But my favorite of the fallacies is that there is a fallacy called, um, I'm having trouble finding it right on here, but there is the fallacy fallacy which is just because you've identified a logical fallacy in someone's argument, that doesn't mean that their argument is actually invalid. It means that they're using an invalid method of argument, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so I actually think that there's a parallel here between this and the bike shedding thing, right? If you can use bike shedding as something useful that you observe in yourself and also to observe an anti-pattern that's happening in a community, you can repair your own behavior and help a community repair a bad situation that it's in. But if instead you're using it as a way to shut other people down... Then that's when it becomes gatekeeping. Right, exactly. Yeah. So does, does that align with you? Does, like, yes. does that feel right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think we should also note that on that Quora post about who is Brett Glass, where Brett Glass responds, there's follow-up responses from other people who are part of the free bsd at least community well, at least one well-known uh former core team member greg Leahy. so do you do we want to read through this one as well as a kind of a, an end cap for this episode or i feel you... like we don't need to keep reading all of the things but i think that the point is that these were people who were there when it happened and we weren't there when it happened that's right and we're not here to argue about what the social dynamics were right and who was right in that particular exchange is not what's the most important thing yeah what's important is the concept of bike shedding identifying when it's happening in your communities 
but also not using that as a way to shut people down unnecessarily. Yeah. Yeah. So now, finally, we're at the actual end of the episode. We had we had managed to record an entire episode that was only about a half hour long, and then... And then there was such a good follow-up that we discovered mid-editing... That we had to add it on, and now you're going to get probably closer to our normal length of episode. You know, the funny thing is, is that Morgan was saying, look, this episode's going to be so short. It's great. This is the best we've ever done. And not only did this happen, though, but it was originally, bike shedding was originally just the first topic of interest for the Topics of Interest episode. And then we were like, oh, maybe this could actually be a whole episode. We have too much to say. We always have too much to say. We are loquacious. We might be bike shedding about it. Are we? I don't think that this counts as bike shedding. I don't know. This does. Meta. All right. Okay. Bye. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Foss and Crafts is released under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License. It's hosted by Morgan Lemmerweber and Chris Lemmerweber. The intro music is composed by Chris Lemmerweber, meaning myself, in Milky Tracker, and is released under the same license as the show. The outro music is Enchanted Tiki 86, composed by Alex Smith of The Cynic Project, and is waved into the public domain under CC0 1.0. See cynicmusic.com for more information. You can get in contact with us on the Fediverse, Foss and Crafts, at octodon.social on twitter as at foss and crafts or you can email us podcast at fossandcrafts.org we also have a chat room join our community in hash foss and crafts at irc.libera.chat if you'd like to support the show you can donate at patreon.com forward slash foss and crafts that's it for this week until next time stay free and stay crafty We weren't there for the thread. It's yeah. basically your previous thread. Maybe we should remove this entire I section. I feel like we should remove this section. We should remove this entire section. Yes.